Hello and welcome to this episode of Irreligiosity, our 100th episode. We've been delaying podcasts for at least 100 episodes. And yet, people still think that screaming at us to find out when the next podcast is going to come out uh, will expedite things. Any? My favorite uh, comment is from Leela. She says, um, this she really truly shows the compassion of our fans, right? Because... Mm. Uh, this isn't the busiest time of the year for me uh, at the clinic, and uh, you're in, you know, full-time student at school. Uh, Leela says, "What the fuck? This is just getting stupid. Hurry up!" Three exclamation points. <laughs> well, you know, the the one thing about our fans that has always lifted my heart is their patience. They're this ki- is a yeah. virtue that should go out to all other fans. Their kindness, their compassion. Uh, they're bitch-slapping, yes. That <laughs> shows through. Uh, so what we're going to do today um, is answer some of your questions. Because we care about you. Even though you guys don't care about us, we care about you enough to answer your questions. That and every idea we came across, we just started getting lazier and lazier, and this was the easiest route. Yeah, this uh, doesn't require really any preparation, so... Yeah, we're gonna yeah. skip skunk dicks because this episode is a 100th episode. It's gonna be all about us, and that just sounds narcissistic. But hey, let's let's do it. Hey, we've had 100 episodes. We could do, this is a, but we've done them about Jesus, Kent Hovind, masturbation. We can do it about <laughs> us now. It's all uh, about us. Well, I would have figured the masturbation episodes were about us. So, <laughs> well, that is true. <laughs> All right. Um, would you like to start with a question, or shall I? Let's let's run into this. Oh, we're gonna break this up. We we'll like that. Like every fifteen minutes, we'll do like a crazy Bible story too. We'll stick that in there too. Yeah, yeah. Well, so suck it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, how about this question from Nice and Blue? If God were to appear before mankind, and it happened to be the God of the Bible, would you worship it, or would your sense of morality prevent you from doing so? Well, nice and blue, we're atheists and therefore have no morals. We would join the God of the Bible and become ass men just like them, and all I've got to say is put a fig tree in front of me and I'll show you how to really bitch slap it. Absolutely. I, for one, would welcome our circumcised overlords. (laughs) <laughs> Very much so. It doesn't matter that he's a complete dick. We don't have any morals. We're atheists. We're complete dicks as well. We would join with the God of the Bible in uh, discriminating against uh, homosexuals, um, keeping women down. Well, they deserve uh, it. Homosexuals are disgusting. And women, they're just well, less than men. So. It's unnatural. Yeah. You uh, never complete- see that in nature. No, not even animals would do that sort of thing. That's just disgusting. Plus, the world's only 6,000 years old, and evolution is a fairy tale. Exactly. We learned that from Kent Hovind. (laughs) We would link arm with with Kent Hovind and uh, uh, Ken Ham and Ray Comfort. uh, uh, Oh, we would circle around God, even with that, uh, that old craggy bitch screaming for her amen. (laughs) She'd be on the line, too. We'd put on the armor of God and uh, fight for Christian whatever, values, I guess. <laughs> well, we're atheists. We don't have any morals or values, so I guess fighting for somebody else's is good enough. There you go. Uh, let's see. Moikis writes, Can you think of any hypothetical evidence which would convince you of the truth of any religion? Hold no. on. Uh, see, there's a, there's a problem here. 
when there's no physical way to measure the spiritual, how can you come up with uh, with some way to find evidence for it? I mean, even if there was a machine out there that showed you there were ghosts all around us, you would still have to question whether or not God is still out there, whether or not he cares about this, or whether or not he's a ma- ginormous peeping Tom. So, I mean, uh, evidence is really, really difficult to come by, especially once so much of God has been put out there. I mean, how would you tell the difference? What What would a God detecting machine look like? What would it detect? What you know? What What uh, supernatural uh, event is not better explained by a natural explanation? I mean, I I, I can't really think of anything that uh, that would convince me. Um, I suppose if uh, you know a personal experience with Jesus, if he uh, popped up here and said, uh, "Hey, Chuck, look at my look at my little holes in my palms and my uh, stab well, so, wound I mean, in my even side. that would be questioned. Finger though, me, because, yeah, finger you. Uh, that that would even come into question because when he shows up, you're going to start wondering what hallucinogenics you've been put on. Right. It would have to be repeated, I guess. It would have to be repeated. So he'd have to show up in my clinic to be treated for his uh, spear wound and uh, crucifixion nail holes. You notice yeah. they never heal, by the way. Uh, the statue of Jesus in the Mormon temple <laughs> still got the fucking <laughs> nail print holes in his hands. I blame Doubting Thomas. If he could f- keep his fingers out of Jesus. <laughs> Lord, what do you have, HIV or some tuberculosis or something? Your immune system just can't get in there and heal those fuckers? You're the god of the universe. Well, he doesn't want to heal it because that is his evidence. His evidence is, look, I have the uh, the wounds. So I <laughs> it suppose... may be disgusting. I can't get a woman, but I have the wounds. <laughs> I suppose... I suppose it would have to be, Jesus would have to personally appear to me multiple times while I'm uh, sober and not on any hallucinogens. Uh, it would have to be over and over and over again. I'd have to essentially be best friends with Jesus before I'd probably accept it. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, literally, uh, God has fucked up his own Bible and the own historicity of everything he's done so much how do you gauge something to trust at that point? Yeah, during that time, I'd have an awful lot of questions for Jesus. Yeah. Uh, he goes on, do either of you still want to be Mormon? Um, me, emphatically, no, because remember, my experience of Mormonism uh, was just kind of in my parents' basement or my uh, grandma's basement. We'd sing a few hymns. I'd have to listen to my fucking relatives pontificate about some stupid aspect that they've research themselves and then I go to church and it's even worse (laughs) so there's really no aspect of Mormonism that that appeals to me anymore you might be different because you spent uh, quite a bit of time in church and in the religion well, I mean, it's it's true. I mean, I, I would never consider going back to Mormonism uh, just on their their beliefs and uh, the lifestyle in and of itself. But, but truth be told, uh, the one thing I found out about Mormons uh, the entire time I was there is the vast majority of them are uh, willing to help out to a fault, and uh, it's kind of funny because. Now that I'm the atheist and the outcast, uh, those offers of help have all been rescinded. As soon as they find out you're an atheist, they they kind of pull back and they'll send you missionaries every once in a while. So I guess 
If anything, uh, no, I wouldn't really want to go back to the LDS way of life, but if anything, it would be kind of nice to have that support network still around. Uh, who designed the Irreligiosophy website? Um, my answer to that is, who the fuck do you think? Who does all the fucking work in the podcast? Me. Yeah. Every he, bit of he's, it. Yeah, you know, uh, I've actually got to bow down to Charlie's work here. Now, uh, everybody around here, we tease back and forth about uh, who does the most work, and Charlie really did step it up for this website, especially uh, searching it and finding one that he liked and picking it, because you can go down to the bottom and see who really designed it. Yeah, it's a WordPress template, so... <laughs> it's a, it's <laughs> it's not a simple a... template. <laughs> Not a whole lot of work involved in that. I did uh, throw up a quick logo at the top, put some, you know, gay penguin and uh, sea lion Mike pictures, uh, and, uh, you know, I kind of arranged the sidebar, but that's essentially it. No yeah. programming was involved in, in that site. No one was harmed in the programming of that site. Yeah. Um, if you were expecting a different answer, perhaps you're overestimating or underestimating our laziness. <laughs> How... How many girlfriends has Layton actually had? How did he find the time being a seaman for so long? (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, implied by the word seaman alone should answer that question. Um, Girl in every port. Yeah, yeah, well, sure. No, honestly, I I have no idea how many girlfriends I have, and it's kind of funny because I stopped counting when I would show up at bars and hear the guys brag about how many women they'd had, things like that. And funny thing I noticed is when you would tell how many girlfriends you had, no one would believe you. Uh, and even if you do uh, spout out the number, I mean, literally, what are you after? The admiration of your bar buddies? So I stopped counting. And uh, truth be as, told, when Leighton runs out of fingers and toes, it's, uh, it's anyone's it's, guess. Yeah, it's, it's like in some ancient languages when they had words for one, two, and many. <laughs> 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 Who knows, man? Who knows? Yeah, yeah, and. As to the, the seamen thing, um, it's kind of funny because uh, the, the sailors, they, there's this song sung about uh, this longtime girl standing on the shore with this pretty little blue bow in her hair kind of staring out into the ocean waiting for you. And, and the funny thing is most people don't understand that uh, men of the sea think of little else than getting back to shore and ravishing the women waiting for them. And uh, the the most prevalent thing you'll ever hear about aboard any ship is the clappity clap of men in your berth thinking on that very thing every night. With that thought, <laughs> uh, let's let's move to the first crazy Bible story. How about that? All right, sounds good to me. Uh, what shall we start with? And I'm taking these from. If you guys are interested, this is called uh, "Drunk with Blood: God's Killings in the Bible." Uh, fantastic book. I highly recommend fantastic it. Fantastic title. So this is killing number 10, um, where he... <laughs> God has just gotten finished smiting every firstborn Egyptian child and animal. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, see, and if you recall, he actually kept killing the animals, resurrecting them, and then killing them again. Yeah, so... <laughs> 
So God tells uh, Moses, you know, it's it's okay to go, and uh, Pharaoh says, get out of here. So uh, go serve the Lord as you have said. This is a Pharaoh. Also take your flocks and herds as you have said, and be gone and bless me also. So uh, Moses rounds up all these uh, Israelites, and, uh, you know, they take their flocks and their herds, uh, but they also took a bunch of silver, gold, and clothes that <laughs> they stole from the Egyptian. <laughs> it says, the Bible says, and they borrowed of the Egyptian jewels of silver, jewels of gold, and raiment. They spoiled the Egyptians, about 600,000 on foot that were men, beside children and flock, even very much cattle. So they t- just took a bunch of shit from the Egyptians. Uh, basically just stole, and then they're wondering why the Egyptians get pissed off. But hey, so, when God's on your side, you can do whatever you want. So this is awesome because, uh, you know, would have been fine except for God decides to harden the heart of Pharaoh one last time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, Pharaoh's sitting there going, okay, I'll let him go. And then instantly God's like, uh-uh, sister, you're going to uh, take these guys off. <laughs> I don't think so. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they shall follow them. And I will get me honor upon Pharaoh. What a dick. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> He's the omnipotent ruler of the universe. And I'll, you know, I'll show Pharaoh what's what. Yeah, and I, upon... I created the entire universe, but I'm going to stomp on <laughs> Pharaoh for a little while. And upon all his host, upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. You know, he just fucking smited all the firstborn children and... Uh, Cattle, but uh, yeah, already yeah. proven he's a dick by going after the children rather than the actual root of the source. But hey, so um, <laughs> so uh, you know the the waters part, right? And here's something you you never hear about, uh, but it is my favorite part of this little story. Um, it's in uh, Exodus fourteen twenty four through twenty five. Uh, so God just uh, allows the Red Sea to part, right? <laughs> They're going down there, and the the host of Pharaoh sitting there in their chariots. And what does God do? The Lord took off their chariot wheels. <laughs> <laughs> Stole them like hubcaps. <laughs> Good Lord, he's down there. Oh, this will show him. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, Charlie, uh, I've just realized that that makes God a Mexican. Because, uh, well, you know why Mexicans ride around in lowriders, don't you? Oh, good, because I don't think we've offended Mexicans yet. Yeah, we we haven't gone after Mexicans. We went after black babies, so now it's Mexicans. <laughs> Jesus H. Christ. In our 100th episode, <laughs> you really want to do this? You want to spoil our 100th episode? All right, fuck it. We'll, we'll ignore it. Just laugh at it and continue. <laughs> What's the answer to the joke? The answer to the joke is so they're closer to your hubcaps and at the stoplights they can steal it. That's what oh, God, God, what a dick. All right, uh, now that we've finished with that God story and offended uh, 99% of our listening audience. Well, th- this way, at this rate anyway, they won't be clamoring for any more podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> as far as I can tell, that's a win-win all around. Excellent. What do you got? Moving on to the next question. Well, actually, I rather like the one from Empbeck. Uh, what is your spiritual biography? And uh, there's actually a couple of interesting stories that explain my spiritual biography perfectly. And didn't we do I this in... in our deconversion? Isn't our deconversion episode the spiritual biography? 
sort of. Uh, basically, what he's asking is, what has been your deepest religious experiences, and how did you ultimately come to reject those spiritual experiences? Gotcha. All right. Uh, oh, you're done. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were going to go on. You have a bunch of stories, right? Well, I have a couple stories, but I was going to ask you to go first, because I'm rather curious to find out what your deepest religious experiences were. Oh, good Lord. I would just say that um, my deepest religion... Well, two, I guess. One, we already mentioned it was that burning sensation in my bosom, right? Which I thought was proof of God when I was a kid. But then, you know, I also got that burning sensation in my chest when I was watching Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back and Star Trek. and Yeah, that uh, proud feeling. Was, yeah. that You know, that was kind of convinced me even before... I had any doubts. I'm like, well, that's not reliable. <laughs> I can't depend on that. Oh, Lord. Uh, the other one, God, I can't even remember. I was having this uh, religious um, uh, revival, I guess, uh, because I was um, engaged to um, my future wife, and I was getting all religious again. And I was going through my past life and, and trying to clear out all my sins, right? Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> uh, I was, you know, talking to people and, you know, making sure everything was okay. And I can't even remember what it was, but there was something that was, um, holding me up, right, spiritually. Yeah. And, uh, uh, finally it occurred to me that I had to forgive myself. And then, uh, it was like scales fell from my eyes and, and, uh, I, the world was clear again. And boy, that was a, that was a great feeling. It was awesome fantastic but again how, how did you disprove that one I well mean, a couple of days later i was like so what <laughs> <laughs> so basically so, you were just a callous bastard from the beginning so the fuck what <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean uh, so i felt better about forgiving myself so what yeah no, there you there you have it. There's my spiritual biography. Uh, well, a bunch of a couple of stupid uh, episodes of my youth. Yeah, well, everybody knows I was raised in a kind of religious boot camp, so uh, my religious experience are slightly different than Charlie's. Um, when thinking about the question, I, I started thinking about uh, my middle finger. Uh, to tell the truth, of course, <laughs> of course. Well. Well, see, what, what happened is, is when I was about seven or so, the, the family took a, a trip up this canyon, and the adults started heading up the side of this kind of sloping cliff. Uh, they were looking to climb to the top of it, and so, you know, being a little kid, I wanted to be big like them, so I headed up the rear and uh, was just below my Uncle Gerald. And about three-quarters of the way up, uh, things started getting really steep, so I decided to take a rest on this kind of throne-looking outcropping. How so, old were you, did you say? I was uh, probably about seven, eight, eight years old. Uh, this was back when I was still living in Park City. You're rock climbing at seven or eight? Yeah. And in yeah. fact, I was sitting on that throne looking down, and my mother and everybody was kind of down on the bottom looking up very proudly, and I was looking down on my little throne outcropping thinking, I'm the king of the fucking world. Are you harnessed up or just free climbing? Free climbing. Free climbing at eight years old? Uh-huh. How high That's, were you? Uh, I'd say maybe 30 or 40 feet up. 
Jesus Christ. Yeah. Child Protective Services, anyone? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, so so the interesting is, thing is what, what happens next. So so I'm sitting up there on this stone outcropping, uh, just feeling very proud of myself, and I hear this grinding sound behind me. So I turn around in time to see my uncle stepping on this boulder, and the boulder actually coming loose. And so this boulder, uh, it's about the size of two watermelons. And it starts rolling and banging down the little funnel of the cliff that I'm sitting in. And down below, my mother is looking up, and she is screaming at the top of her lungs for me to get out of the way. And the funny thing is, is I remember uh, to this very day thinking very clearly, where do you want me to go? I'm on a cliff. (laughs) Jump! (laughs) Jump! Where do you want me to go? Don't let that rock hit you. Yeah, and so I'm sitting there on this throne, and the only thing I can think of is, well, I've got nowhere to go, so I'm just going to put my head between my legs. So I put my head between my legs. This boulder hits right behind and to the right of me, bounces over the top of me, and lands on my left hand because I had it too far out to brace me on this little throne thing. You know, and, it could uh, have landed on your face, and you could have started a religion like Ellen G. White. Exactly, exactly. But uh, well, that's instead actually, it just mangled your finger. <laughs> yeah, instead it just mangled my finger. Now, the kind of the amazing thing about it is is this is such a big boulder, and it landed on its point, and uh, probably uh, saved my entire hand because although it split my middle finger like a, a banana. It only scratched up the uh, the other two fingers, the index and the ring finger. So, I mean, the reason why I brought this up is because after I got out of the hospital, I remember uh, sitting there taking this god-awful tasting medicine at my grandma's place and listening to my mother go on and on about how God had protected me and that if God was going to protect me that much, I had to be destined for something great. And, uh, of course, this this kind of theme is nothing new, considering the stories I was brought up on, such as how my parents decided on my name. Charlie, have I ever told you what my parents raised me to believe about my own name? Are we talking about John or Leighton? Leighton, the full name. Your your actual name. My actual name. Your first name's John. No, first name's Leighton, middle name's John, unlike the rest of my brothers and sisters who go by their middle name. Yeah, I mean, uh, what's Sean's first name? Michael, right? Michael, yes. And uh, Troy is Adam, and they all go by their middle name. I just assumed you were... No, that's right, you're LJ. My wife calls you LJ, Leighton John. Yeah. So why, uh, A, why did they name you Leighton, and and B, why didn't they just call you John? Well, see... uh, Like the rest of the fucking family. Yeah, that comes from the crazy beliefs of my parents. And, I, I mean, I kid you not, this is what I was raised on. Um, as as my parents tell it, uh, they were floundering around through every baby book they could find, but couldn't seem to find a name that felt good. It w- it was getting about the time I was to be born, and one night my you're dad number had... you're number six, right? Yes, I'm the the last born to my parents. So they're they're running out of names. <laughs> yeah, basically <laughs> they they run out of names and adopted names, things like that. <laughs> <laughs> So they're running out of names, and one night my dad has a dream, 
and he's walking down this really foggy street, and all around him are these street signs, and they've got names on them, but he can't really make them out because there's a fog and they're too blurry. And then all of a sudden, further down the road, he sees this this bright marquee sign, like the, the old ones in the old movie theaters announcing the new movies, and right up there, lit up in bright lights and all the glory, was my name. So basically, all of my life, because of this dream and because of these near-death experiences, I was always told that I was destined for greatness. I mean, uh, basically, I was motherfucking Samson. <laughs> as long as I did what was right in the eyes of God, I was untouchable in my own eye. And uh, that's kind of odd, going from that to questioning, then disbelieving, and then using that same deformed middle finger to flip God off. But uh, I, I wonder if my mother knew I was destined to get pissed off at God. Well, they're right. Look how great you've become. That's true. Look how great I've become. <laughs> that, that That's proof of religion. Yeah. Proof of religion right there. So uh, my parents, have, or my father, having a dream about uh, me on a marquee sign and a boulder nearly crushing me is absolute evidence that I am destined for greatness. Excellent. Uh, well, we're nearing the 30-minute mark for another uh, Bible story, but very quickly, uh, from FF42, where do you see yourselves and this site five years from now? Uh, my answer would be, uh, I'd honestly be surprised if I were still doing this five years from now. I think where I see myself is king of the haunting world. <laughs> retired from medicine, retired from the podcast, and scaring the shit out of little children. Yeah, well, you know what I see in five years? Although uh, we are causing people to uh, uncontrollably have anal squirting in our haunted house, um, what I see is even our back episodes kicking the ass of every other podcast out there. <laughs> Probably religion will be eradicated entirely. Uh, Ken Ham uh, and Ray Comfort, um, Kirk Cameron, they'll be uh, smoking ruins on the husk of uh, Kirk Hastings as Leighton has burned all the fuckers down. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's where I see ourselves in five years. Yeah. All right, should we move on with another uh, crazy Bible story? I think you may be right. Let's let's move on to another crazy. All right, this is a good one because it really shows the morality of uh, God. Uh, this is killing number twenty. It's titled "The Opposing Party is Buried Alive Along with Their Families." Um, this is in Numbers sixteen thirty-one through thirty-three. So uh, this guy named Korah uh, comes up and he confronts Moses and he says, "Ye take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them." And the Lord is among them. Wherefore, then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. So he's basically saying, look, we're all righteous. What makes you more righteous, you asshole? So what does Moses do? When Moses heard it, he fell upon his face. God, that must have hurt. Yeah. We're as holy as you, and he passes out. Oh, apparently, while he's still on his face. <laughs> Was there no fainting couch there to catch him? <laughs> So he's still on his face and he says, here's his, here's his plan. This do. Take you censers, Korah, and all his company, and put fire therein, and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow. And it shall be that the man whom the Lord doth choose, he shall be holy. So apparently you, you take this incense and these censers and whoever, uh, 
I don't know what uh, burns the incense or something. Lord will, uh, <laughs> Lord will pick. <laughs> so every man took his, strikes his fancy. took his censer and put fire in them and laid incense thereon and stood in the door of the tabernacle with Moses. So um, God, uh, the glory of God appeared unto all the congregation now. They're all gathered for this weird uh, incense um, contest. <laughs> <laughs> and the Lord, what does he say? <laughs> the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. So he wants to kill all the fuckers. <laughs> He's so pissed off. Yeah, so I can't what, believe they're using Nag Champa. That's not the right incense. <laughs> what, what do you think Moses and Aaron did? Ran away like little girls. They fell upon their faces. <laughs> Fainting couch. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, they, they tried to uh, talk uh, God out of it. And uh, so God says, all right. Speak unto the congregation, saying, Get you up from the about the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Um, so they got him, and they set him apart. Uh, and uh, Dathan and Abram came out, stood in the door of their tents, and their wives, and their sons, and their little children. And Moses said, Hereby ye shall know that the Lord hath sent me. If these men die the common death of all men, or if they be visited after the visitation of all men, then the Lord hath not sent me. So basically, they die of natural causes, right? But if the Lord make a new thing and the earth open her mouth and swallow them up with all that appertained unto them and they go down quick unto the pit, then ye shall understand that these men have provoked the Lord. So they arrange the test. Does that sound great? <laughs> well, I'm just sitting here laughing that uh, God's supposed to be omniscient. He's supposed to know what's going to happen in the future. And it always cracks me up when people kind of change his mind and force him to do things yeah. differently. I'm going to kill them all, Moses. Like, oh, well, hang on, hang tight. Let me just arrange this. And so instead hold, hold, hold of the, on. Hold on. the swinging censor and burning incest contest, uh, God's going to see if they you know, die of natural causes or whether they're swallowed them up. So what happens? The earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up. They and all that appertained to them went down alive into the pit, and the earth closed upon them, and they perished from among the congregation. So, you know, these three men, but also their wives, sons, daughters, little children, all got swallowed up into the pit because of something they didn't do and weren't responsible for. Buried well, a fucking alive. <laughs> they deserved it. Uh, clearly, just because they happened to be related to the dude who was provoking God. <laughs> well, unto the seventh generation, do not piss off God. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely wonderful. Yeah. All right. Um, this next uh, segment is maybe we'll play some music here. Uh, Chuck's family segment. Was that Star Trek music? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I was trying to do some sort of, uh, I don't know, soap opera music, but I don't watch them enough to know Very what nice. the music sounds like. Very nice. There were a lot of questions about me and my family. I was surprised. Um, I guess it shouldn't be all that surprising because Leighton talks uh, all the time about his family. I typically don't. Yeah, see, I, the, I, the difference is, is I don't really respect the things my family does. And, uh, well, you have something that's much different than my family. Yeah, it's not that I, I respect them so much. is that uh, I, uh, you know, I respect their privacy, I guess, which you're just a total dick and don't. Yeah. Well, I figure if you're going to do something stupid. 
you deserve to have it published on the internet <laughs> for six or seven people to laugh at and mock and scorn. Uh-huh. All right, let's uh, let's see. On a more personal note, this is from Duffman. Oh, yeah. On a more personal note, you're obviously atheist and your wife is Mormon. How do you make it work? Uh, Hallie seconds the question. Is religion something you can talk about with your wife or do you just avoid the subject altogether? Uh, how do you maintain a relationship as equals with someone whose beliefs you do not respect? Atheist mama, I also want to know how you, Chuck, and your wife managed to make your marriage work. How are your kids raised? Um, and then Eric Parkinson, actually, I'm increasingly curious how you guys make that relationship work, too. Uh, well, you know, we've been together for, good Lord, we've been married for 17 years. And we dated for two years before that, so nearly 20 years we've we've been together. You know, as far as the kids are concerned, I made a deal with my wife. Remember, we had not worked out the religious uh, uh, question before we got married, but we decided to get married anyway. Uh, the deal was that I would allow the children to be raised in the church. Um, and, uh, you know, I've kept my word on that. Um, they can be raised in the church. I Honestly, I like I said, you know, Leighton was raised in the church. I was raised religious. Um, if the kids have any questions, they can certainly uh, come and ask me about it. Uh, I'm pretty certain my son will turn out to be a little heathen. Uh, I'm not sure about my daughter, but, uh, you know, whatever, that's fine. Um, they have their own um, views, opinions, and uh, beliefs, and uh, uh, I'll support them on that. Um, like I said, if they have any questions, then uh, we'll talk. As far as working out with my wife, um, we can talk religion, and we do. Uh, from time to time, it flares up and 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 it does you know cause problems within the relationship. Uh, I uh, to be diplomatic, uh, I try to rein myself in around her and her family. Around my family, not so much. Um, it's funny. Maybe you've noticed this too, Leighton. Um, it used to be when I you know I told them they were an atheist, they were all energized and. Uh, they jump on me every chance they get to ask me questions and, and try oh, to Oh, I remember that. I was there for a few times. We'd stop by to visit your parents or something, and they'd instantly have, like, a new book they needed you to read. Right, or right. Like that. And it was fine. You know, I had to love engaging them. Um, after they were uh, humiliated a couple times, especially on the evolution question, uh, they just stopped bringing them up. <laughs> so now they'll hold their religious debates or discussions or arguments, they'll hold them without me. Um, I, I'm typically there uh, in spirit. They'll say, well, you know, blah, blah, blah. He says this, but this is why he's so stupid. Um, but that, that when I walk in the room, everyone gets quiet. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like so, the evidence for faith, guys, right? They'd much yeah. rather carry on and debate without us present. Yeah, well, it's funny because uh, your family, you actually trained your family before I trained mine because now my family does the same thing because every time they bring up any sort of topic as I'm walking by, I just kind of stop and raise one finger like, excuse me? <laughs> yeah, right. So they typically don't bring it up. You know, every once in a while, we'll, we'll bring stuff up and uh, I'll needle them about this or that. Uh, but uh, we really, me and my extended family, kind of have an uneasy uh, truce about religion. If they if they don't bring it up, uh, it's fine. Don't throw it in my face. If they don't talk about evolution, fine. Um, if they do, uh, it's fair game, and they typically regret it. Truthfully, I, in my own opinion, I think uh, one of the reasons you uh, you don't really speak religion when it comes to your wife's uh, her family is because they're just so goddamn nice. 
Yeah, you know, we, we give Mormons grief and a lot of hell on this podcast for their beliefs, but the truth is, I think, by and large, the rank-and-file Mormons, the, the ones who go to church every Sunday and, and they're in the pews... The ones who uh, believe for believing's sake, not what they can get out of it. Yeah, the people who sincerely believe, they're really decent people. They're really nice people. And I think it's unfortunate that the leaders of the church will uh, abuse this and um, get them involved in these politics that otherwise they would uh, have no interest. You know, I can't imagine my wife's family uh, voting against gay rights, right? Because, you know, they, they feel like they, they should, uh, at the very least... Uh, ignore the situation and, and let people do what they want, you know? That's kind mm-hmm. of the spirit of one of the articles of faith, right? Let men believe what they will, et cetera, et cetera. Well, see, and that's always a highlight with, with your wife's family, is they are the sort that live and let live. Let everybody do as they please, whatever makes them happiest. Right. So they tend to kind of let that stuff go. But, you know, uh, if I question them on it, they feel obligated to trot out the church line. Right, which the prophets have told them that homosexuality is a sin, and you know the the stupid marriage proclamation. We had to do a whole podcast on that about yeah. how they come. A, this is a supposedly a revelation. Again, it's just a fucking press release written by the PR department, not by the goddamn apostles, about how marriage is between one man and one woman. And it's like you guys are just ignoring your history. <laughs> your history is polygamy, you assholes. Well, Ugh. of course they're getting that shit. And so these really nice people who otherwise wouldn't be involved are are motivated to get out to the polls and vote by these asshole leaders. So I would lay the blame squarely at the uh, leaders of the church and not the rank and file who who tend to be really nice, decent people. And, you know, I think my wife's family um, particularly exemplifies all that's best about Mormonism. They're, They're quiet about their beliefs. They don't push them on other people. Uh, they just live their own life and try to be examples to, to other people. Um, and yeah, the same the sort part, of people that will take their shirt off their back to help you at any time. I mean, these are really wonderful people. Yeah, and, you know, and um, my wife as well. They, they, there's a difference between people who believe, especially in Utah, in Mormonism for the social or networking benefits. You know, there are lots of business connections you can make just because you're Mormon. And mm-hmm. it's an instant social network. There's financial benefits if you, you know, run into some problems. The Bishop's Warehouse is there to help you out. They'll pay your bills. They'll pay your mortgage. They'll give you food. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, there are definite benefits. But um, as far as, you know, uh, maintaining a relationship is equals with someone whose beliefs you don't respect. And remember, I don't respect the beliefs themselves, but I, I do respect her sincerity and believing them even when it's disadvantageous to her she will do and keep in mind what my wife has given up to be with me and she gave this up from the start because she didn't know well she didn't know I was going to be an atheist she was hoping that I would you know convert into Mormonism but she went into the marriage not knowing uh, and prepared really to deal with the fact that we might be religiously separate um, for our entire lives her idea is that, you know, you know, in Mormonism, we're saved as a couple, right? You're saved mm-hmm. not singly, but with your eternal partner. She didn't have that. So she, by marrying me, she is essentially giving that up. Uh, every week when she goes to church, she goes essentially as a single mother. She goes by herself and takes our children. Now, imagine... If you are in a church filled with husbands, wives, and children, 
it, you're like a fucking neon flashing sign when you show up just as a woman and two children. Where's your husband? What does your husband believe? How come he's not here? Uh, and she gets all of that stuff every week she goes. And she, yet she still goes. She has to explain to people, well, he doesn't really believe he's an atheist. And then you have to suffer all the gasps, right? Oh, my God. <laughs> You're married to an atheist. How is that possible? Why are you, why are you going against uh, the Lord's plan? Right. Why don't you divorce him and find... Uh, someone who holds the priesthood and can be a beacon of light to your children and how can you live without the priesthood in your home and you know you know it's a bad reflection on her and yet she still goes um she uh so well, see, and that's, uh, you know that's I, one massive big thing in, in mormonism is to have a priesthood holder in the house right if, if you don't have that your house is godless there is no god guiding right. your house with the priesthood it's central to Mormonism. Absolutely central. Uh, think of what she sacrificed for her parents, too. I mean, Leighton, when you went to church, what's the biggest thing parents will get up on Fast Sunday and thank God for? God, it's 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 almost something that makes you gag. Every time uh, you see a, a parent get up there fast and testimonying, the first thing they love to do is brag about how righteous their family is. They'll go into, all of our sons and daughters have gone on a mission, or all of our sons have, have gone on a mission and come back and married people in the temple. It's, it's like this massive, massive bragging session is what fast and testimony meeting is. Right, and so they'll get up there and they'll say, Every, the Lord has blessed me so much. And that's they're saying, essentially what they're saying is, I'm such a good parent. The Lord has yes. blessed me so much. All of, all of my daughters were married to an, a return missionary who honorably served his mission in the temple. All of my sons went on a mission, blah, blah, blah. So what she did by marrying me, because all of the other children in her family were married in the temple <laughs> to return missionary. What she did by marrying me was essentially undercutting their, the parents' ability uh, to say that, right? To stand up in church and say that. Um, to their credit, they've never treated me uh, as a second-class citizen. Um, they've they've been amazingly open, and and when uh, uh, you know my my wife uh, was convinced by some sister missionaries, you know, to, you know, you got to really think about getting an eternal companion. He's waiting out there for you, a priesthood holder, a worthy priesthood holder. She she actually um, took the kids and went back to Utah. We were in Arizona at the time. And uh, she quizzed her parents down on it, and to their credit, they said, family is more important than religion. I'm convinced if they had not said that, we wouldn't be married today. And uh, you told me this after the fact. Um, this actually happened when one of the times I wasn't down there visiting you guys, and although I was shocked at it, I wasn't necessarily surprised because you're absolutely right. This is the modus operandi. Uh, in the LDS church, you marry uh, a righteous individual because that is the only way to have a family forever. Right, and and uh, she knew from the beginning, and like she sacrificed that. She she believes that uh, even though uh, we will not be together forever, she hopes that somehow that'll work out. But. Uh, even if not, then at least we'll have this time together here on Earth. And that, you know, there are a lot of things about my wife that, that's um, worthy of respect. And I, I think the 
the amazing sacrifices uh, she's made for me within her religious circle and her own family. Uh, I mean, that shows a lot of love. And, and uh, I love my wife to death, and I think that she is, like I said, an absolute saint. She is uh, amazingly patient. Uh, she is literally the best person I, I've ever known. Yeah, so I have uh, to concur with that. So that that's that's that. So I, I'm gonna say that and then return back to not talking about my family at all. <laughs> Being closed-lipped as uh, as you expect me to bring all entertainment forward. But then again, that's what I was talking about. Is when when it comes to respect. I have a very difficult time respecting my family because uh, in religious aspects, uh, with the swaying of the winds of the economy and so on and so forth, their religious beliefs change. Whereas with your wife and her family, uh, they are smooth sailors. It doesn't matter what trials and tribulations they run across, they never deviate from the righteous path. It's actually something to be admired, honestly. There there are a lot of things to respect about um, my wife and her family. Um, the beliefs, you know, I don't. Um, and, you know, I, I'm not apologetic about that. Uh, but as far as being decent people, and the interesting thing is, I think they're decent outside of their religion. Uh, they don't think so. They, I don't think they think that they can be good people without the religion, but I think if you would strip the religion away from them, I don't think they'd change at all. I'm inclined to agree. All right, how about another uh, Bible killing? Well, it sounds like, uh, let's see, moving from your wife and family to God killing other people. Sounds good. Uh, this is killing number 22. God killed 14,700 for complaining about God's killings. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I, first, we've got, as we brought up in the uh, evidence for faith debate, uh, you have God just torturing people because they complained about not having any food, and now they're complaining about getting killed by God. <laughs> this is awesome. So this follows on the heels of the of the previous killing. So they're all freaked out, right? They've they've seen the earth open and swallow up all these families and innocent children. Uh, so. Uh, <laughs> Which honestly would freak anybody out. <laughs> so, but on the morrow, all the congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, saying, Ye have killed the people of the Lord. This is Numbers 1641. Uh, the glory of the Lord appeared again, uh, and the, the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Get you up from among this congregation, that I may consume them as in a moment. So now he's, gonna, he's pissed off. He's going to kill them all again. Well, what do you think Moses and Aaron did? fell on their faces. They fell upon their faces. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the goddamn fainting couch? Then um, Moses said unto Aaron, Take a censer and put fire therein from off the altar and put it on incense and go quickly into the congregation and make an atonement for them, for there is wrath gone out from the Lord. The plague is begun. Uh, so apparently if God starts killing a whole bunch of people, uh, you just need to um, burn some incense. Well, I just love that uh, instead of having these people burn incense and ask for forgiveness for God, uh, basically he sends Moses to take care of it for them. So God's uh, busy killing people, right? He's too busy killing people. So it says, um, <clears throat> number 1649, Now they that died in the plague were 14,700 besides them that died about the matter of Korah. 
<laughs> so we're talking more than 14,000. They're like, yeah, and uh, ignoring the others that died over here. <laughs> Nearly 15,000 people, God was so pissed off. But fortunately, it's like, um, remember that Hindu uh, myth where Shiva was destroying everybody and then she stepped on her husband? Yeah. What yeah. you got to do to get God's attention to stop him from fucking killing everybody is just burning some incest. Oh, hey, that smells good. <laughs> hey, hey, He's that like smells a, good. Like a fucking dog. It's like Pavlov's dog. You, every time you burn incense, he calms bing, down. Bing, bing, bing. <laughs> awesome. All right. Uh, well, I think we've uh, talked. Well, you know what? Let me quickly address, uh, since I'm stealing all of the time in this podcast, quickly address my extended family because there are a couple questions about that and i want to clear some what you grew up with in the flds that sort of thing yeah um how many wives this is from michael how many wives did your father have chuck and what is it like growing up with multiple mommies how do you get along with your family now um my my father was never a polygamist indeed so in action never polygamous he was monogamous all the way uh until the present time and actually, that was the same was true for my grandfather, who was a monogamous up until the kids were all raised, and then he got a second wife. You know, they're they're kind of reluctant polygamists. They they don't really want to to do it, but they feel it's their um, religious obligation, and they won't go to heaven unless they do it. Uh, so, um, you know, like I said, it, it, until up until the present time, as far as I know, maybe he's got a second wife on the side and hasn't told me about it. <laughs> But uh, he's no. been keeping a second wife and second family exactly. hidden from you. This Very part. secret. Um, so it's, yeah, like I said, as far as I know, uh, he's still monogamous. Um, how do I get along with my family? Like I said, we we have kind of an uneasy truce. Uh, we're very friendly with each other uh, until uh, tensions flare up when we talk about religion. So we typically, essentially, avoid the topic. Very, very interestingly, I have um, a sister who went through all kinds of hell because she converted back into the LDS church. And my oh, parents I remember that. Your were, mother burst into tears, yes. and it was a huge I th- ordeal. I think it was almost worse than me being an atheist because they've taught for so long that uh, the Mormon church is of the devil and it's false and you know, it's everything that's wrong with the world. And, and to have a, a child go back, it's almost like a, a betrayal. Right, it's a worse betrayal yeah. than, than. Well, I mean, you were raised your entire life with every argument you could find right. against Mormonism. Right, exactly. Specifically, I and mean, they didn't bother uh, discussing the problems with atheism because it's not really even an option. <laughs> but Mormonism was, especially growing up in Utah, the LDS Church, and so they were very upset about that. They did not attend uh, her baptism, uh, and and so I think they regretted that. So when my older brother converted back into the LDS church they actually went there kind of reluctantly um, to kind of <clears throat> I guess support them in, in name um, by their presence but they didn't like that either they're, they're very offended by uh, both of them and that's still a really touchy subject for them <laughs> so I actually yeah. have probably have a better relationship than uh, than uh, those two um, yeah, which is up. which is just absolutely hilarious because across the entire U.S. you have an atheist and everybody looks down on them, but in your family it's 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 worse to become mainstream. Yes, <laughs> they I think they consider that a personal failure that that two of their children have uh, converted back into the LDS Church. <laughs> <laughs> 
And you would think it would be opposite because at least they still believe in God, so there's still a chance for them, but right. not in this instance. Um, Chuck, this from Glib Lord. You seem awfully well adjusted for having come from FLDS. I've always wondered about that. Could you spell out your upbringing in a little more detail? And uh, from Moikis, uh, did your upbringing get in the way of learning a scientific outlook at all? Uh, what did your family think of it? Uh, interesting question. Um, it, you know, I had doubts from a very young age. Um, I, I always did really well in school, and I actually preferred science and mathematics to the humanities because there was an answer. You know, in mathematics, you either right or you're wrong. <laughs> yeah, no there's gray no it's right. Nice. Um, although, you know, I did well in all of the subjects, I was, when I was chosen to be a Sterling Scholar my senior year in high school, it was for English. It wasn't for math or science. Did you ever um, get one of those uh, certificates from the nation saying, like, you're in the top 95% in, like, math writing and things like that? Yeah, you know, you get pestered by the Golden Key Honor Society. Yeah, they they start sending you all that shit, and you're just looking at it as a kid going, what exactly does yeah. all this mean? Who's <laughs> who Who's who in uh, high schools, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's um, ridiculous. And actually, I made the mistake of taking the uh, ASVAB. The, the oh, D. God, didn't everybody, though? We were just looking for a day out of class. <laughs> yeah, Armed Services Vocational Aptitude something or other. Yeah. Uh, battery. Um, so, right, I was uh, trying to get out of uh, college algebra in trig, I think, at the time, and I made the mistake. I, what I should have done was just ski track the whole thing, right, and then mm -hmm. taking the hour off. Uh, but I actually did it, and I ended up apparently testing in the top 1%, and, and the Navy got a hold of this, and the guy took me out to lunch. He wanted me to go into their nuclear submarine program, that sounds about right. I thought, you you want me to be locked up in a tin can, like three feet away from an active fucking nuclear reactor? <laughs> what kind of idiot do you think I am? So, basically, you were calling all of our submariners idiots. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way I was going nice. to do that. No way. He he called me so much that my finally my mom had to intervene and call him up and tell, tell him to stop pestering me. Uh, but, you know, looking back on that, what I should have done, too, is probably get into the Navy or so, something with an easy boot camp and uh, had them pay for my medical school and, and give me a stipend during residency. Because apparently if you're in the armed services for 20 years, you can retire at half pay, right? Yep, you retire at half pay, and then what you do is something called double dipping. Uh, once you've retired, you pick up another government job, work it for 10 years, and then you're able to uh, retire off of that as well. So basically, you'll be getting two retirement checks. Nice, you can work the system. The nice thing about that, your medical school and residency count toward the 20 years, so when I graduated, I would have had seven years under my belt already. I just didn't want to, and I was contacted the Navy about that too multiple times while I was in medical school, while I was in residency. Uh, I did. I just didn't want to have them tell me where to go uh, and uproot my kids. And see, and that would have been a big thing for you is uh, every three to four years you change base stations, and you really have no choice. Uh, they uh, they give you options where they need you, uh, but they kind of just cycle you through. Right. So no thanks on that one. So did my upgrading get it in the way of learning a scientific outlook at all? No, uh, actually not at all. Um, my uh, parents' big lesson to us was because, you know, the Mormon church had strayed from the truth. 
And so they would teach you the truth is the most important thing. And uh, that backfired on them. Uh, I remember in third grade that one of my teachers had brought up the concept of evolution, and I went home and I'm like, wow, this is cool. Like if you stay in a pool for a long time, you could grow gills and, and, and webbed feet. <laughs> <laughs> Just like every other kid out there who right. has about this much understanding. Right, this is my eighth grade comprehension of evolution. My dad just totally furious, pissed off. He went and talked to the teacher and yelled at him for you know bringing these concepts into my head and blah blah blah. But I thought, well, whatever, man. Uh, if the science says it, the science says it. If it's a fact, you know, why fight against it? So I had never had any problem with evolution at all. My parents um, tried to uh, uh, fight against that as much as possible, but they don't have any scientific training. Uh, my dad's so a History. During your baptism in the pool, did you ever hope you had gills to try and swim away from everybody? Yeah, can we, can we, uh, I know I've just been dunked, but can we stick around for a couple more hours so I can fucking grow fins? <laughs> I'd really like to swim away from what just happened. <laughs> <laughs> so that commitment to the truth, I think, uh, essentially backfired to them because it didn't matter to me, um, whether or not evolution was true or whether it conflicted with the scriptures. If it's true, then clearly the scriptures had to be wrong or they were interpreted incorrectly. So, uh, no, it didn't. Not at all. As a matter of fact, it probably propelled me toward uh, my interest in, in science and, and philosophy. Yeah, it was kind of the, the same. You had kind of the, the same encouragement I had. I mean, basically, my father would sit us down on a regular basis and say, there's nothing more important than education, so you, you need to follow your education, and unfortunately, it bit him in the ass. So. Right. And to their credit, Mormons tend to be very well educated, um, and I think most of the time they just hope that their indoctrination during the youth uh, carries them through. Um, because they have certain scriptures that say, you know, it's good to be wise, but it's foolish if you put uh, faith in, you know, the arm of flesh and, and the learning of men, right? You, you should put yeah. it into the wisdom of God. But again, to, to me, you know, the, the truths of science, the facts of science and the explanations of science uh, were in an entirely different category than these stupid religious explanations, which to me seemed, Mormonism to me seemed maybe a half step above Greek mythology, right? Yeah. Even when I was in it. Um, it seemed to me just a little bit odd. Well, it's and it's definitely odd uh, when you look around and you see people who aren't Mormon and they're so normal. Right, right. You know, you're, you're trained to believe when you're growing up that people who aren't Mormon are second-class citizens. Like when you see someone who's drinking or smoking, right? Ew, oh, uh -huh. that's terrible. That's, that's the reaction that they breed into you. You're like, ew, someone with a tattoo, ew. I right. mean... Anybody who does not carry the clean-cut Mormon look raises eyebrows. And in fact, this is one of the reasons why you had long hair, and it's one of the reasons why I grew long hair, too. It's just yeah. you can gauge the quality <laughs> of the people by the way they would react to you. There is nothing like having shoulder-length hair all the way around your head for instantly um, seeing... Uh, what people are worth, which people are worth talking to, and which people aren't. Yeah, especially instantly. Yeah, you go to you go to church with long hair, and you can immediately segregate the people in two populations: people who are absolutely disgusted with you, and uh, people who actually um, uh, are open and and uh, you know have compassion and and uh, will talk to you despite the fact that you look like a total hippie.
<laughs> they don't well, make which, instant judgments, right? They'll, they'll, yeah. they'll try to learn about you first before they make a judgment. Those people who make snap judgments, in my opinion, aren't uh, worth talking. It's a nice social experiment. Yeah, yeah, it's, it actually is, and it's funny that you and I both ran the same experiment without even meeting each other. It was just kind of yeah. something you mentioned, and then I just kind of laughed because even at the time when I first met you, I had long hair, and you and I just kind of laughed and talked about it. Right. You know, it's amazing how big a deal having long hair is in Utah, right? I mean, it's against the BYU honor code. <laughs> so apparently Jesus would be kicked out of BYU, you know, if he uh, stepped foot on there. Yeah. Um, but uh, one of the things I want to talk to uh, also is um, uh, the regret question. Do you have any regrets? If there's anything, you know, any actions you did in the past, uh you know, that you'd take back yeah, or change. From Renegade 87, right? Yeah. Do you want to take that first? Uh, Do you have yeah, a- yeah, I guess. Um, well, when I read this question, there was <clears throat> really one thing that kind of stood out. And interestingly enough, uh, Charlie, I don't think you know much about this because uh, I was kind of private about it, and I, I, I talked to your wife uh, in great detail. The one regret I would have is leaving Luxembourg. And uh, leading up to that is, I, I've i spoken a little bit on the forum about this, and there's been a few questions about it, uh, so why not answer it? So I met this woman in Italy and fell in love with her sad brown eyes. I mean, literally the first time I met her, she was walking down the steps of this castle I was staying in, and just being friendly, I struck up a conversation, and she always had this sadness, and when I asked her what she was doing in Italy, she actually broke down in tears and told me she didn't know. And uh, later on, I found out she was going through massive family problems, that whole thing. But but we got to know each other, and while we were bouncing around the rest of Europe, I decided to check my email. And I saw an urgent message from my oldest brother. And uh, the cryptic way he worded it uh, made me think something bad had happened to the family. So I call him up as quick as I can, and as it turns out, uh, the company he had started, which was still in his basement of his house, uh, was doing pretty well and had investors that were willing to put several million dollars into it. So he was getting in touch with me because he wanted me to fly back to the States as soon as possible and head one of the divisions for for his new hires. So sitting there, I, I, I told him I would think about it and give him a call back because it was a it was a decision to make. So uh, that night, uh, well, truth be told, the only thing I could really think about was her brown hair and her lean against me. And by morning, I'd made the decision that a woman like her needed uh, more than just a wanderer. So I talked with her about it, and since she intended on staying in Europe for a while, the plan was for me to fly back to the States, set things up, and then go back to her, basically bounce back and forth running this division for my brother. And the last time I saw her, she was standing on a street corner in Luxembourg, and I was driving away. Uh, What generally happened is, uh, when I got back to the States, I got in contact with my brother and told him I was ready to go. And he responded, the investors haven't given him the money yet. So when I asked him when the money was supposed to be transferred, he informs me they're still working out the details, but it wouldn't take more than a week or so to finalize everything. 
So basically, over the next while, I hunkered down and started doing work for his company. But as time went by, I just became more and more restless and frustrated. I mean, hell, half the time, I mean, you know this, Charlie, uh, half the time, my brother didn't even have the money to pay his employees. So uh, with me, he would pay me in trade like that old two-year-old laptop he gave me. And to his employees, he would offer them stock options instead of their paychecks. And uh, Nice. All the... <laughs> That's a common tactic. Common Here. tactic. This will be really... Uh... <laughs> really valuable someday. <laughs> yeah, it, it's kind of funny because uh, my brother Sean, which everybody is aware of, he were, was working for my company, or my brother's company at the same time, and when he walked into the office and my brother had this massive presentation on how he could give up his paycheck and earn stock options, the first question my uh, Sean asked was, so uh, you don't have the money to pay me? <laughs> right. At any rate, um, he kept assuring me that the investors were coming, that they were just around the corner. And uh, at the time, he had this, this fella working for him who was his childhood best friend. And one morning, I woke up to him throwing around these accu accusations that I hadn't been doing the work and wasn't doing it well enough. I'm shocked. And, yeah, I'm shocked. So... I slapped him around a bit uh, and basically threw the work in his face because I had done it. I just hadn't sent it in that morning yet. And uh, tore him a new asshole. And my brother calls me into his office and thanks me for the help I've given him and then tells me my services are no longer needed just because I stood up to his childhood best friend. So at that point... So in was... your, your family blood is not thicker than water. No. He... He sides with the best friend over you. Sided with the best friend and uh, basically determined that he would rather you know, continue working with him. It didn't matter that he called me back from Europe. And in fact, this is kind of a, a general idea with my family since I'm the wanderer, since I don't have a family. I'm the one the family goes to when they need something because I don't have anything better going on with my life. Um... So anyway, so he basically fires me, and I start making preparations to go back to Europe, and probably the stupidest thing I ever did was uh, I decided to surprise her. So I purchased all my flight information, and uh, on the day before I was going to leave, I was getting ready to send her my flight itinerary, and I received an email from her saying, all this time alone, she'd had a lot of time to think, and she'd ret decided to return home and give her estranged fiancé another time, or another chance, excuse me. Um, she was basically sending me the email from her home, and, well, my tickets were non-refundable, and she broke contact so she could concentrate entirely on her fiancé and her new life. So I guess, to answer that, yeah. If I could go back and change something, I'd never left Luxembourg. Well, that beats my story, which was uh, uh, when I was, a, I think, a freshman in high school, so maybe 14 years old. Uh, one of my good friends got an earring, and I said to him, you know, I can't be friends with someone I don't respect, and uh, I can't respect you if you have an earring. And so I stopped being friends with him. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you know what's funny is, although he jokes about it, this is something that has haunted him because we've talked about this in the past, and it's something that really drives you nuts about yourself, doesn't it? Just looking back at the absolute dick I was, I mean, I was total conservative, asshole, um, anti-gay, anti, uh, I guess, pro-life, um, uh, like my uh, like my whole political stance has changed uh, uh, 180 degrees, um, and even the appearance, you know, because uh, you think back, shit, 20 years ago when I was in high school, 25 years ago, you know, even the appearance that you're gay, <laughs> yeah, I right. Mean, so it gets, gets an earring, and then I freak out that he might be gay. I guess, especially and... in Utah, where I mean. <laughs> The gays are looked on as the abomination of all the world. What an absolute asshole I was. So um, that's probably the most dickish I've ever been in my life. And uh, um, I, I do regret that. And if I could travel back in time and change that, I would. Uh, what can you do? Yeah. You do? Well, we've all got uh, things in our past that we would travel back and change, but no point in dwelling on them, really. Well, we didn't get through even half of the uh questions we were uh, attempting to get through. So maybe we'll come back and revisit these questions uh, at a later date. What do you think? Uh, well, that's that's too bad. I was kind of looking forward to uh, to talking about my military experience because half the people think I was in the Navy, the other half have no no clues. So, so you're right. Maybe uh, maybe we should come back and like do a, an episode later on with, with questions. And hell, why not send more questions in and we'll just set aside an episode for it. Sure. Um, and I think... Uh, we've got a bunch of interviews in the hopper right now. We'll get through those, but um, <clears throat> in order to prevent any further whining, uh, let's go to twice a month instead of once a week. What do you say? Well, uh, I don't know if that will stop the whining. Um, in fact, I think that will increase it. Uh, the The very idea that instead of doing it once a week, every other week, I think people will actually fall over and have conniption fits. Excellent. Your job is done. 